0: Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. If You have your Bibles, if you'll join me in Song of Songs. This morning we're kicking off a new series that we are calling The Language of Love, where we will be exploring love, dating, sex, marriage, and relationships. And we'll be specifically looking at the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. So no matter if you have a love life, had a love life, want a love life, this series has power to help you step into the life that God has for you. If I had to ask you a question, a simple question, it's more complex than what we want to admit, but the question is this. It's a probing question. It's a revealing question. What is the greatest love song of all time? Turn to your neighbor real quick. What is the greatest love song of all time? When you hear this song on the radio, you say, now that... That's a classic. Maybe for you, maybe this is the song. Close your eyes. Ooh. Make a wish. Eighth grade, baby. Silk shirt, black pants, loafers. Fortune. Wow. stop right there. Don't sing anymore. All right. <laughs> maybe that's not the song. Maybe that's not what does it for you. Maybe, maybe for you, it's this song right here. Maybe it's not T-Swift. Maybe that's not what, you know, pretty convinced she hates all men. But maybe that's that's not it. Maybe, though. I think we'd all agree. This song, this next song, it falls within the top three, all right? Maybe it's this for you. Come on, Kevin Costner. Let's go. Everybody that was born 2000 and uh, on, they're like, I don't even, I don't know what this song is. Never heard of it Who is this? That's what's wrong with our culture today. The Whitney Houston. All right. The reason that we start there is because what we know in regard to, to love and to sex and to relationship and to marriage and to dating, we have so many bad examples. Would we all agree with that? We have so many bad examples. And how good is God that he would dedicate and designate an entire book, an entire song in the Bible that addresses our love life. And God presents for us, to us, this blueprint of if you want to get love and dating and marriage and from this day forward, if you want to get it right... These are some characteristics. These are some rules that we're going to play by because this is what we know. People today, they really love love. They love falling in love, but they're really bad about staying in love. In fact, about 90% of people in the U.S., they get married by the age of 50, but out of that 90%, around 50% of married couples they get a divorce. And for those who say, all right, I didn't get the first one right. I'm going I'm to attempt another time. For those that attempt a second marriage, 60% of those marriages end in divorce. And for those that say three times is the charm, 73% of those marriages end in divorce. Many people, though they fall in love, they struggle staying. In love. In culture, in media, in Hollywood, it gives us one bad example after the other. But God, he says, do you want to know the secret? Do you want me to reveal the plan? And he gives us the greatest song of all time. Now, a couple of just context information items so that we are all playing on the same or singing from the same sheet of music. There's going to be things that we talk about over the next several weeks that you do not want to be sitting beside your mother. You're going to say and think, I can't believe that's in the Bible, but it is. In fact, in Hebrew culture, unless you were married, you could not read the Song of Songs until you were 30 years of age, meaning that even though Jesus, he was the word of life, he was scripture incarnate, he could not have even read Song of Solomon Here's what you need to know. It was written, it was a poetic song, but because it was written in Hebrew and it has been translated into English, when we read it, we lose a lot of the rhythmic or a lot of the rhymes. So sometimes it doesn't seem to flow well or it doesn't seem to make sense. There are three characters that we see that are revealed in the Song of Songs. You have a man, Solomon, you have a woman, his love, and then you have their friends, which sounds about right right if you want to be my lover you got to get with my friends all right (laughs) Spice Girls come on you better you got to keep up you got to keep up all right so we're we're going to be looking today this morning at the initial stage where all relationships begin attraction it's where all relationships start so if you have your Bibles we're going to start in verse 2 Song of Songs chapter 1 here we go are you ready No, you shouldn't be. All right, here we go. (laughs) Jessica asked me, when I told her a couple months ago that we're gonna be preaching through this book, she said, have you ever, ever in your life heard anybody preach through Song of Songs? I said, no. She said, there's a reason for that. (laughs) (laughs) Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oil. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. How happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. How right they are to adore you. I am dark but beautiful, O women of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kadar. Dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced uh, me to take care of the vineyard so I could not care for myself, my own vineyard. Tell me, my love, where you are leading your flock today. Where Where will you rest your sheep at noon, for why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flock? If you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. How lovely are your cheeks, your earrings, set them afire. How lovely is your neck, Enhanced by the strings of jewels. We will make your earrings of gold and beads of silver. The king is lying on his couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are like doves, you are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed, fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house, and pleasant smelling firs are the rafters. Chapter two, we're going to stop at verse seven, so take a deep breath. I am the spring crocus, blooming on the Sharon Plain, the lily of the valley, like a lily among thistles, is my darling among young women. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard, is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me like raisin cakes, refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer, do not wake, awaken love until the right time. Okay, any questions? <laughs> Are all answers, you know, all questions answered at this point? You feel good? You ready to go home? So let's do this for a few minutes. If you have a pen, it's okay. I want you to write in your Bible or if you have a notebook beside it. I was taught as a kid, if I write in my Bible, I go to hell. The problem with that is that's not in the Bible, okay? So if you want to write in the Bible, it will help you make sense because once again, it was poetry, it was rhythmic, and we've lost a lot of that. So I, I wanna walk through the verses again to bring some context to it, and then we're going to break it down and make it applicable for, for us today. So verse one, he begins by saying, out of the thousand songs that I have written, this is the only one that is divinely inspired. God gave me this song. Therefore, it is the greatest Song of all time. So if anybody asks you that question moving forward, it is this song. It's the greatest of all time. Verse two, she is speaking, kiss me. And then she begins to unpack or talk about his love for her. So she says about him and kiss me again for your love is sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of the scented oil. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. Now the friends... They jump in. How happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. Then she speaks again. In this song, she does about 50% of the speaking. He does about 30%. (laughs) Sounds about right. All right? Don't judge me. It's just true. All right? She says how right they are, and Ken said it, not me, All right. how right they are to adore you. I am dark, but I am beautiful. She's speaking here about her skin complexion. O women of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, The tribe of Kedar, they would take curtains, they would make it out of dark sheep skin, and they would line their tents with that so the sun could not penetrate. So what she is saying in this moment is that my skin, it is dark. She goes on, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tent, which would have been a dark purple. Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyard, so I did not care for my own vineyard. What she's saying in this moment is that in our culture, uh, Tan... Is, that's what is oftentimes desirable. But in their culture, paleness was more desirable because tendness represented a commoner. It represented someone who had to work outside. So she's saying, hey, listen, I, I know that my brothers got mad at me and therefore they, they put me out to, to care for the, for the goats and for the sheep and therefore I was caring for that and I didn't get to take care of my skin. So I am dark, so don't look too closely at me. So she's recognizing and she's identifying some insecurity in this moment, but she's also saying, "But I am confident, I am lovely," which I, I, I love that she continues to speak. Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where are you you resting your sheep at noon? For I want to. Should I wander like a prostitute among the friends of the flock? What she's saying is, I want to pursue you. I wanna be around you, but I don't wanna smother you. So I desire to be with you, but if you are not reciprocating, if you don't want me around, I'm okay with that. So he speaks, almost playful, almost flirty. If you don't know a most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock. I will graze your young goats by the shepherd's tent. In other words, I want to be with you too. He continues to say, "You are exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions." We're gonna come back to this. He is not saying you have the face of a horse. <laughs> don't don't say that. That won't go well for you. All right. He he is not comparing her to a horse. We'll we'll come back. How lovely are your cheeks. Your earrings set them afire. Lovely uh, is your neck enhanced by the string of jewels. We will make your earrings of gold, beads of silver. She speaks now. The king is lying on the couch, enchanted by the fragrance of my perfume. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my breasts. He is like a bouquet of sweet henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. And then he says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes, they are like doves. He's not saying, men, you have birdie little eyes. A dove can only see what is in front of them, only can focus on one thing at a time. So, what he's saying in this moment is, You only have eyes for me, and I recognize that. And she says, You are so handsome. My love pleases beyond words. The soft, and the literal translation here is green, uh, the soft grass or green is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches and the the beams of our house and the pleasant-smelling firs are of the rafters. She says, I am the spring crocus blooming on the Sharon Plain, the lily of the valley. And then he says, like a lily among thistles, you are my darling. And she says, like the finest apple trees in the orchard, is my love among other young men. I sit in his delight, shade, and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me, strengthen me with the raisin cakes, and refresh me with apples. These are aphrodisiacs. When David would return from battle, we see in Kings, when he would return from battle, he would give apples and, and grapes to his men because they were full of seed and they were thought to, to enhance your sex life. So he would say, hey, take this, eat this, go home, be with your wives, make babies, and then prepare for war. Okay, So she's, she's referencing that. For I am weak with love His left arm is under my head. His his right arm embraces me. She then turns and talks to her friends, and she is saying, I'm getting all hot and bothered, okay? Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles, the wild deer, do not awaken love until the time is right. What we're going to do at this moment is we're going to spend the next 15 minutes unpacking these truths that are revealed in this chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And I want us to identify these seven characteristics, these seven characters that if they are not present in your dating relationship or in your marriage or in your future relationship, it should raise concern. It should have red flags. Whenever a couple comes to me and they ask if I will officiate their marriage, I will send them to a mentoring couple and they do an evaluation and they spend several weeks with them and then I get a report back on that couple And what I'm looking for in that report, are there red flags that I now need to address? So these are red flags. If they are not present in your current or future relationships, you should be concerned. First one, when godly character is not what attracts. Verse two, kiss me, she says, and kiss me again. Another translation says, let him kiss. Kiss me. She's saying, I want this guy. I want him to kiss me right on the mouth. Now, if you are a guy, you should be asking this question right now. And and if you're not asking this question right now, you, you, you might be too dumb to help. I don't know. You should be asking this question What in the world has he done? to get her all hot and bothered. What has he done to turn her on to make her desire his kisses, you know, her kisses on the mouth. And she identifies. She says, "Here's what it is. Here's why. My man is pleasing in his fragrance and perfumes. In other words, he has good hygiene. His his cologne game is strong. It's not Axe body spray, all right, middle schoolers? Put it away do all of humanity a favor for the love of everything good, pure, and holy. Put it away. But his name, his name, literal translation, his reputation, when his name is spoken in the community, people, they delight in it. They're intrigued by it, they're happy. He has a good reputation. You see, often when we are dating, we are looking not so much for someone of good godly character, but we're looking for somebody who's hot, okay? And if you only look for the outside and not for the inside, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Because I know that when I got married almost 20 years ago, I looked very different. Age has not been kind to me. Okay? And if you're only attracted to their outer appearance, Scripture says that that is is fleeting. It is disappointing. It, It will not last. But a man or a woman of godly character, that will last. And if you are lucky enough, blessed enough to find somebody like I have found, you see, Jessica's relationship with God, it has only grown over the last 20 years of knowing her. And that is something that is extremely, extremely attractive. So what does it look like? How do I know if someone has godly character? Well, once again, Scripture tells us. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, it says this, Charm is deceitful, speaking of a woman, and beauty is vain, it won't last, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So men, what are we to look for when we are pursuing a mate, when we're pursuing a wife? Wives, what are you supposed to pursue in your marriage? What are you supposed to grow into? You see, what we reveal in Proverbs is she has surrendered to the lordship of Christ Jesus and is actively stepping into the life that God has for her. She is growing daily in her likeness and her desire for Christ Jesus. She has recognized a relationship with Jesus is the foundation of her discovering and knowing her own identity. Not what culture says, but what God says over her and about her. She knows that a woman's beauty does not come from the world's standard, but beauty is far more than outward appearance. She fears the Lord and she knows her identity is found in Christ Jesus and she humbly walks boldly in that confidence. She is more concerned about the kingdom than she is about herself. She is willing to serve others and she recognizes her strengths, her abilities. She strives to further the kingdom and honor God with her time, her talents, her treasure, and her tongue. She is not idle, but she perseveres through storms and she trusts and she believes with an unfailing confidence that God's love never fails. So for our men... Characteristics of a godly man. We find that in Song of Solomons chapter 1 and verse 2. Verse 3 says he is a man of Christ-like character. Verse 3 also says he has a good reputation. Verse 4, he is approved by her friends and family. Verse 9, he values her. Verse 10, he speaks kindly to her. Verse 11, he pursues her. Verse 15, he focuses on her eyes, not her body, but her eyes. Verse 17, he is financially secure. Chapter 2, verse 1, he improves or enhances her. Chapter 2, verse 2, he is consistent with his words as well as with his actions, his deeds. Verse 3, he makes her feel safe. Verse 4, he is proud of her in public. In verse uh, 7, he sets the sexual standards because that is what it means according to the Bible to be a man of godly character. So is what attracts you to that individual, is it their character? Is it their name? Is it their reputation? Because a name has a way of provoking. If I say the name Mother Teresa, You think, a woman of high character, a servant, humility, a godly woman, a godly example, and I wish I could be more like her. I don't have to tell you anything she accomplished or anything she did, just her namesake. Now let's say Hitler. It does the absolute opposite. You think of hatred, evil, bigotry. Why? I don't have to say anything that he has ever accomplished or every every anything he's ever done just his name when you hear the name of your spouse when you hear your name of your boyfriend your girlfriend what do you think of how do people associate with that name red flag number 2 if this is not present You should be concerned when others don't celebrate. Verse four, how happy we are for you, O king. We praise your love even more than wine. What they are saying in this moment is that our friends... Those that know us the best, they celebrate our relationship. They are not concerned. They say, you two are better together than you are apart. Often when the opposite is true and our friends speak against the relationship or they share concerns or they reveal red flags, what do we do? We cut them out of our lives. We ignore them. We believe the lie that they're jealous of what we have or they don't want the best. Or we believe the illusion or delusion that we see something in them, the person that we're pursuing, that our friends don't have access to or that they don't see. Proverbs tells us that many of our plans fail because we fail to seek godly counsel Now, I'm not saying go to your friend whose life, love life, is a train wreck consistently and ask for dating or marriage uh, advice. Go to those people who are more seasoned, more wise, and ask advice and seek counsel from them. And you can simply ask these two questions. Is there anything about our relationship that you have concern about? Is there anything in our relationship that should give us pause. And then just simply ask, do you think we're good together? And then you listen. Now, as a friend, if you have concerns about someone that your friend is dating, or even married to, and you wanna help, how do you address this? What do you do? Because the worst thing that you can do is you can like their pictures on social media and celebrate it falsely, but just say behind closed doors, it'll never last. It'll never last. I saw that coming. So how do you handle this as a friend? Here's what you do. You go to them individually, privately, humbly, prayerfully, and you say, can I I share with you what I see? I may be wrong, Accept the fact that you may be wrong. And then just share with them one or two or three concerns, red flags that you have observed in their relationship and remind them, as your friend, I love you and I only want what's best for you. And because I love you, I cannot stay silent. Red flag number three when you're not okay in a season of being single. So she says, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? What she is saying in this moment is, I wanna be with you. I wanna go to the same gym that you go to. I'm, I'm gonna walk my dog by the, you know, down the neighborhood that you live in. I'm going to shop at the same grocery store that you shop at, even though it's not the most convenient for me because I wanna be with you. But I want you to be with me too. And he's reciprocating this. And he's saying, listen, you know where I shop. You followed me here and I like it. I like that. But what she's saying in this moment is my standards are high and if you don't want to be with me, then I'm not going to waste my time. Because I am comfortable and I am confident and I am believing that it's okay to be single because in that season of wait, in the in-between season, in the time of singleness, God is developing me into the person that my significant other most needs. So she is intentional in this moment that God is growing my patience. He is growing my contentment. He is growing my confidence. Are you okay being single? Red flag number four, when there is a lack of transparency. Verse nine, you are exciting, my darling, as a mayor among Pharaoh's stallions. I am the spring crocus blooming on the Sharon Plain, the lily in the valley. Now this sounds beautiful, a lily in the valley. But what she is saying in this moment is there's nothing that is distinguishing about me. I am just common. I'm not the most beautiful girl. I'm just average at best. And in this moment, what she's really doing is, you know when you take a picture or you find a picture of yourself and you look at your boyfriend or you look at your girlfriend and you say, oh man, I look terrible. And what you're hoping for him to say is, What? You look beautiful. What you don't want to hear is, Yeah, yellow's not your color. <laughs> that's a weird angle, you know? Like, I mean, there's next time, you know? Don't worry about it. Why don't you, why don't you call him and just ask them to delete it, you know? Like, what, what you're wanting is for them to say, No, you are beautiful. And that's exactly how Prince Charming, how Solomon responds No, no, no. You are like a lily among thistles, you are beautiful. Chapter two, verse four, he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious, it's obvious how much he loves me. Some translations say this, his banner over me, it is love. There is no ambiguity in their relationship. She is secure, absolutely secure, in her absolute knowledge of his love for her. She doesn't have to wonder, does he still love me? Is he still attracted to me? She knows with an unwielding confidence that he is still for me, that he is still proud of me. Men, sometimes the best thing that you can say to your wife is I'm proud of you. I love you, you are the best mom and this is why. You are the best wife and this is why. You care for us, you love us, you are so gentle, you're so peaceful. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is because society and culture, it wants to rob our women of this confidence. and It is our responsibility as men to lean into them and to securely say, You are mine, I am yours, I love you. So don't leave them wondering. The last red flag, when you're compromising godly values, she says in chapter two, verse three, like an apple tree among these trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in the shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And then she says, strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am faint with love. She goes on to say, don't don't awaken this desire. God designed sex. It is a gift that has been given to his sons and to his daughters for them to enjoy. But it has been given to be enjoyed in the relationship of a covenant marriage. I have couples come to me often and want me to officiate their marriage. So I'll ask the question every time, without exception, are you living together, are you being currently, are you being intimate? And the reason I ask that question is because God cannot bless anything that is against his nature. Sex before marriage is against God's nature. And when we stand before God and our friends and family on that wedding day, what our heart's desire should be is God will you bless our marriage? And God desires to bless it. He wants to bless it more than you even want the blessing, but he cannot bless that that is against his nature. But we were designed to enjoy sex. So what she is saying in this moment is do not put yourself in a situation in which you can compromise godly values for the sake of temporary lust or satisfaction. Don't awaken the deer, the gazelles, wait until your wedding day. Why? Because we want God's blessing. We want his best. We want to honor him in this moment, in our dating life, in our marriage, and in our relationship. For those of us who are married, it is important for us to recognize that as a spouse, we are the only individual in the entire world that can meet the desire of sex in our spouse. No one else. It is our responsibility to steward that gift that God has given for our enjoyment well. But if you get the other things wrong, and he or she doesn't feel valued, doesn't feel loved, if they feel compromised, if you have bad integrity, bad reputation, wrong or misplaced values, then you better believe it affects your sex life and the fulfillment of that. Now, oftentimes I was a youth pastor long enough to know what some of you are thinking and asking in your mind right now. Luke, where is the line? How far is too far? How far can we go without it being sinful? And I will say to you that you're asking the wrong question. Scripture doesn't say that there is a line. Scripture says that there is a time. And the time is to wait until you are married. Why? Because it is God's absolute best for you. So in conclusion... Here are the things to focus on. These are the red flags that you need to be concerned about if they are not present in your current relationship or relationship that you will one day pursue. Is godly character, is it what is drawing you, attracting you to that other person? If others don't celebrate the relationship in your life, you should be concerned If it was formed in a season in which you were not okay being single, you should be concerned. If there's not utter and complete transparency, if there's a lack of trust, if it's not present, you should be concerned. And if purity does not mark it, then you should be concerned. So over the next several weeks, leading up into a marriage conference, we're gonna be unpacking just practical application and truths that we believe, when applied, can help you experience God's absolute best life for you. But we wanna walk beside you as couples throughout the week to come as well. So when you leave, you are going to receive this card. It's gonna be placed in your hand. And this is not a bookmark. It's not to be left in the car. It's not simply to be placed on the refrigerator where you, it comes an afterthought. On the very back, there are six questions that are asked from Sunday all the way through Saturday. And I'm gonna ask that you be intentional about carving out some time. Maybe it's when the kids go to bed or maybe it's when you wake up early in the morning or maybe you're empty nesting and you can choose whenever time is most convenient and valuable to you. But I want you to sit down one with the other. I want you to hold hands, look at each other in the eye, and I want you to ask these questions. And I want you to be transparent in your answer to them. And if you do so, we believe that you will experience a level of intimacy and you will enhance a godly relationship like never before. Our prayer as a staff for you this season has been that as we see families and relationships declining all around us, that we will look to God and his instruction through his word to build relationships that can be light in a dark world. So are you excited? (laughs) Are you excited? Are you ready? Let's do this. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. Father, we are so thankful that you love us so much that you revealed the blueprint through Song of Songs of what it's like to, to live out and to pursue godly relationships. But Father, in our word and in our deed, may we honor you in all that we do and all that we say. Father, we know that you want what's very, very best for us. So Father, receive the glory in us and through us. Father, may we prioritize these questions this week and may we grow in our knowledge not only of you, but also of the relationships that you have placed in front of us. So Father, we love you. We thank you as in your strong, your precious and your sufficient name and all God's people say, amen. Would you stand to your feet as we close in worship? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.